Good morning. Because of the way we um, conduct our services here at Kirkpatrick these days, it probably does no harm for me to introduce myself once in a while so that people know who I and the other folks at the front here are. I'm Christoph Ebbinghaus, the minister here. Um, when I first came here to the church, I did most of the stuff on a Sunday myself, but then I noticed that a lot of people who were much better at these things than I am arrived, so I started to allow them to, to do uh, lots of the stuff here in a Sunday service. So anytime you come here, it's likely that one person will lead, that another person will talk to the children, somebody else will read, uh, and other people will do different bits and pieces. Um, somewhere, hopefully as a common thread, uh, I'll still be allowed to do bits and pieces uh, uh, here from time to time. But it's a, a great privilege to welcome you this morning to our Harvest Sunday morning service. I think if you polled church attendance, if there was some way of doing that, you'd find that the Harvest service is still one of the, the big ones. I wonder if it wouldn't run the Christmas carol service uh, pretty close as the biggest service of the year. I used to love Harvest as a child. I remember growing up in the church and having this sense that the, the church building was always very prim and proper and tidy, quite a, a subdued sort of environment. But then came Harvest, and the place was just full of stuff. Uh, it was all the stuff that you could see there. You were tripping over bales of hay as you came in through the vestibule. Uh, running past little sheaves maybe at the end of the pew. Everywhere there were apples and oranges and flowers. and It didn't just look good, it, it smelled good too. It was a real feast for the senses. It felt like it was a, a week when the normally sleepy church building suddenly came to life. I think it's for these sorts of reasons that, that traditionally we've enjoyed harvest. And that tradition of celebrating harvest goes back a long way. Uh, There was a time, I guess, when most people were involved in in some sort of farming or or somehow bringing in some sort of a crop from the the field or the sea or or wherever. Uh, And at this time of the year, people would set aside a Sunday to come together to to celebrate uh, the harvest that they'd just brought in and to thank God for it. Now, where does that leave us? It's much harder for us, I think, to have a tangible sense of connection with the harvest. Uh, I'm looking around. I may be wrong, but I'm I'm guessing that only, well, if if any at all, there can't be many people here who are involved in in any sort of farming or or gathering any sort of a crop. There's not many of us who spent the last weeks uh, bringing in our crops ere the winter storms begin. So what is all this? mean for us. The closest we get to harvesting is a trip to Tesco or Sainsbury's, and it's very straightforward, isn't it? You don't have to plant a crop, just magically appears on a, in a warmly lit building uh, on a bright, bright shelf. And we're not limited to just potatoes or wheat or, or one particular crop. We can choose from thousands of crops from hundreds of different countries in the world. And we don't need a tractor or a combine harvester to go and pick it up, although I think some of the cars in the Tesco parking lot aren't far smaller than a combine harvester these days. A shopping trolley 
and a credit card is all we need to bring in the harvest. So how does it all still make sense? Does it still make sense? Or should we just forget it and move on? This morning I want to, to challenge the way of thinking that says harvest is not important and we can just forget about it and move on. The Bible teaches, you see, that God is the creator of this world. Now, as soon as I say that, I don't want to be naive about that. I'm not expecting that everybody in the building shares my belief about that. It's a bold claim. And in the world of Richard Dawkins and Stephen Hawking, it might seem like a pretty out-of-date superstition to believe that. We've come to the point in modern-day Britain where to believe that God created the world uh, feels a little bit like uh, being intellectually irresponsible. It's not. I'm not an expert in this field, but I understand that from a scientific point of view that there are very persuasive reasons to believe in a creator God. Just last month, Professor John Lennox had an article in the National Press, and he explained why he thought that Stephen Hawking was wrong to say that the universe is here just as a result of some physics, uh, some processes that can be explained by the laws of physics. John Lennox said that it's impossible to explain the universe without God. Creation, the world that we live in, this stuff, here presents a huge problem for an atheist. I hope you understand that, because the way our modern discourse works, you wouldn't think so. You you chat to a person who claims to be an atheist and ask them, where did all this stuff come from? And of course, they have an answer. They'll say, it was the Big Bang. Well, who set off the Big Banger? Where did the Big Bang come from? Folks, if we push it back far enough, there there is intellectually a very credible argument for a a creator God. A lot of mystery there that I, I wouldn't even attempt to explain to you. God created this world. That's what I believe. And I know that many of you do too, but I want to encourage you to hold that belief and keep it strong. The Bible not only teaches that God created this world, it it teaches us that this world relies on God totally for its continued existence. So a couple of verses from Psalm 145. God, the, the psalmist addresses God and he says, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. So the psalmist is right. The crops that end up on the shelves in Tesco and Sainsbury, they're there because God graciously has granted us this this growth, this vitality, this life. But it's not just food, folks. Psalm 24, we're reminded the earth is the Lord's and everything in it So God gives us much more than just food uh, that we can use and benefit from. Again, it can be hard to believe 
uh, in, in God's provision for us when you live in a world of, of iPhones and, and complex motor cars. But it's all there because God has given it to us. Think of a plastic bag or any plastic product. What's it made of? Oil is probably the main ingredient to most of our plastic products, a natural oil found in the earth. Think of a car. Every part of a car, no matter how far it seems removed from nature, it started out life as a, an ore of some sort or a, a natural product. A mobile phone, those microchips, they're produced from, from chemicals and minerals rich in our earth. Folks, when you think about it for just a moment, everything, even this stuff that seems so highly sophisticated and full of technological wonder, everything comes to us as a good gift from our Creator God. I want to make a case to say that Harvest Thanksgiving still makes sense every bit as much today in 2010 Valley Hackamore as it ever did anywhere else. The last seven years, Claire and I have had our hands full bringing up our three young children, Patrick, Sophie, and Ruby. Now, there's a load of things that parents have to try and teach their children. So it's it's how to walk and to talk, how to eat and use the toilet, and just a countless number of other things. But if you watched most parents across the board, you'd find one of the very common things that parents want to teach their kids is gratitude. Whenever somebody gives them a biscuit or a cup of juice, we're to, to teach them to say ta-ta or thank you right from their earliest days, to learn to, to be thankful. I feel quite sorry for Patrick, our son. Every time he goes to a birthday party, he was at one yesterday, he gets this drill in the car on the way there. Now remember to, to say thank you. You know, because kids go to the parties and they get party, you know, they ask for the party bag as soon as they arrive at the door. You know, where's my party bag? You know, so we're trying to, trying to teach them gratitude. It's, it's one of the the things we long for our kids to understand and, and we long for them to, to live out. Sometimes I can't help but think when I watch Patrick at a party that he's, he's doing what he was drilled to do. It's not yet a spontaneous, oh, I love this, I recognize what you've done for me, thanks. Maybe, maybe that'll come later. Folks, how could we be sure that any thanksgiving that we offer to God is more than something that we're drilled in or something that we do simply because the calendar says it's Harvest Thanksgiving Sunday, we're going to sing some of those hymns and prayers? How could we ensure that there's something a little more than that going on in our lives? Let me suggest a connection for you this morning that might help you think about your Harvest Thanksgiving. Let me suggest that real Thanksgiving will express itself in our living. So if we want to make sure our Thanksgiving is real, then we need to look at concrete ways of demonstrating our gratitude and of living it out. So Thanksgiving isn't restricted to one service once a year, singing a couple of, of old traditional Thanksgiving hymns. 
It's a way of life. Real thanksgiving expresses itself in thanksgiving. Maybe I could close for the last few minutes by sharing with you a few ideas of how your life might be a life of gratitude to God. Firstly, for some of us convinced by God's goodness to us, we demonstrate our gratitude by our giving. So in biblical times, and we read one of the passages there from Deuteronomy this morning, in biblical times, the people took it for granted that everything that they had was a gift from God. So what they did was they chose to give a proportion of that back to God. No questions asked. That was just ingrained in the way the people of God lived and thought. The more God blesses you with a bigger crop, the more you give to him. It's also a New Testament theme, so Paul picks it up in his second letter to the church in Corinth. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Folks, it's one of the great, great blessings to receive anything from God is that we're able to give. So there's a first area where we can demonstrate the gratitude in our hearts, in our lives, by our giving. Secondly, we can show our thankfulness to God by telling others. Tell others about the ways in which God has blessed us. There's a verse I love in Psalm 116. In the message translation, it reads like this. What can I give back to God for all the blessings he has poured out on me? And the psalmist realizes that God's, that telling others about God's goodness is a brilliant way to show our gratitude to God. He says, I will lift high the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I'll fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. Maybe you're somebody who's known God's goodness in very physical, tangible ways. Maybe you've known God's God's comfort and his help recently in your life. Maybe the gift of God's salvation is something that that you're increasingly becoming aware of. One of the greatest ways to show our gratitude to God is to tell others about that. There are a couple of very concrete things you could do just now in our church life. One we mentioned last week, invite somebody along to a Christianity Explored course where they can learn Uh, what Jesus has done for you and what he could do for them. Another thing is maybe to invite people along to join us at at church or or at some other similar occasion or event. Share the good news of Jesus with others as you can. So we can give, we can tell people of what God has done for us. But there's a third thing. And this is the most important thing by a long shot of all. We can demonstrate our gratitude to God who gives us the harvest by accepting his most important gift. If somebody gave you a couple of gifts, one relatively small and another that was much, much greater, their hope would be that you would receive both but certainly that you wouldn't stop at the small gift and leave the larger. 
God has given us something much, much greater than three square meals a day. He has given us himself. Did you know that God gave himself for you? Is that something you know? Why would I need God to give himself for me? You might ask, he's given me this world that, you live, that I live in. I'm getting by just fine here. That, that might be the way you think about it. You might believe in God. You might believe that he created the world. And you might be happy just to leave it at that. We think we're getting by just fine with that. Tell me this. Are we really getting by just fine? When you read the, the newspaper and watch the television headlines, another teenager murdered, another woman raped, another child abused. Are we getting by so fine? Whenever you look deep inside your own life, and think of the stuff there that, that you managed to keep hidden from the person in the pew beside you. Are we getting by just fine? Do you think that's all okay? Probably not, I would guess. The world is not okay. Not on, a, not on a macro scale, nor on an individual scale. The world's gone wrong, and so have we. Folks, you see, God created this world. That's, that's what we've been saying here this morning. That's what we want to thank Him for, all His goodness to us in creation. But He created it for us to live under His loving rule in fellowship with Him, in friendship with Him, Whenever you choose to live in a world like that, when you choose to live in God's world without acknowledging Him, you're like an imposter. You're, you're like a trespasser who's entered somebody else's property and has chosen to, to live there, a squatter. If we choose to live in, in God's world without paying attention to God's rules, we're rebels. We're in rebellion against the king. Folks, because everything that we've said this morning about God is true, because he is the good God, because he's the giver of life, see the choice to live in rebellion against him? That's a choice to live not in a good world, but in a bad one. That's a choice not to, to live in a way that gives us ever greater and greater life. That's a choice to walk and continue walking on a path that leads us to death. Folks, things aren't okay with the world. But the wonderful news that I want to share with you this morning, this Thanksgiving Sunday morning, is that God has done something about it. You see, God loves this world deeply and dearly. I, I don't know. I, I think it's really important that we understand that. 
that we don't just talk about God creating the world and then sitting back and watching it spin. He loves this world. And he loves us, me and you. We're right at the center of his gaze. The Bible teaches us that nothing that God created came anywhere close to the people that he created. They were the crown of his creation, the ones whom he loves. This is why he gave himself. This is why he sent his son. And even if you're somebody who isn't regularly at church, you've just joined us for a harvest service, you'll know this verse. This reminder that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him won't perish, but can have eternal life. Did you get that? Who is it who won't perish? Who is it who won't live life far from God, the giver of life? Who is it can be sure of their life today, tomorrow, and eternally into the future? It's those who who believe in God's Son, Jesus Christ. It's those who recognize that this world has gone wrong, that they have gone wrong, and that only by receiving Jesus to forgive them can they be made right. Who will have life with God? It's those who come to him through Jesus Christ. Folks, I I want to close this morning. I've been thinking with you about Harvest Thanksgiving and how we could how we could really be grateful to God for his provision for us, uh, everything that we see around us this morning. By far the most important way to live lives grateful to God is to receive from him his greatest gift, his son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Folks, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he saw this. He lived in the same world that you and I do, a world wonderfully blessed with all sorts of resources. But when he thought about Jesus, he described Jesus in these terms. He said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. There's a gift way beyond all others, way beyond what we can even imagine. It's Jesus, the Savior of the world, the one who offers us life. I ask you this morning, as you're here to thank God for all his gifts, have you received the big one? Have you received Jesus Christ? If ever anything that I say in a sermon or in a conversation with you, if God uses that to prompt you, if it opens questions in your mind about whether you do or don't yet know Jesus in this way that I'm talking about, please come and talk to me or, or talk to somebody else that you know who could help you think about these things. Folks, nothing's more important than, than receiving God's gift in Jesus. Let's pray.